Heavenly Father, how wonderful and glorious is your salvation as we have just sung about. And uh, we come to you now in the name of Jesus and we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would open the understanding of our uh, minds that we may behold wondrous things out of your blessed word. Show us your truth now as we open up your word now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then, like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And back in April, as you recall, those of you that were here, I began a series of messages on the Lord's Prayer. As I have opportunity to preach, I will continue with this text. In part one, I left off uh, making the point that we are to pray that God's name would be regarded as holy. We see that in in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is not just a, a statement of fact, although it is true that God's name is holy. This is a prayer request that his name would be regarded as holy. We should pray that the people on this earth would have a reverential respect for the awesome God that he is. We should pray that God would be highly esteemed and worshipped on this earth, just as he is in heaven. We understand this is what our Lord is teaching us to pray, as we see in verse 9. Verse 9 is connected to verse 10, giving us context as we look at this. Verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how is God's name regarded in heaven? The angels Call to one another, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's Isaiah 6.3. And then I'm turning in my Bible now to get a glimpse the way it's like in heaven. How is God's name regarded in heaven? And we find that. I, I go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the, the living creatures gives glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And if that's not enough, of the way God's name is regarded in heaven right now, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 5, 9 through 14. Revelation 5, 9 through 14, I'm reading. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Well, I want to fall down and worship right now. How about you? <laughs> well, that's the way God's name is regarded in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who ransomed people for God by his own blood from every tribe and language and people and nation is being worshipped right now at this very moment in heaven. And we pray that someday it will be the same way on this earth. Wouldn't that be a wonderful time to come? That's what we pray for. On earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And so the, uh, this morning, I'd like to take a, a closer look as I go through this series on uh, the Lord's Prayer. As I say, this is uh, part two. Um, and uh, let's take a closer look at Matthew 6.10. If you would turn there, Matthew 6.10, if you're not there already, as we focus on uh, this verse. We'll focus on that verse. And as we pray to our awesome Heavenly Father, we are to pray that His kingdom would come. In Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And every true child of God longs to hear the declaration. We are longing to hear the declaration that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's Revelation eleven fifteen. The Apostle Paul speaks of those who love his appearing. That's in 2 Timothy 4, 8. And we are told in 2 Thessalonians 1, 10 that he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Have you believed? We shall marvel if we're not marveling already. How wonderful it will be. How wonderful, brothers and sisters, will it be when Revelation 21, 23 through 27 becomes a reality a reality for us. And it says, And the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But it, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there is no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, if it is, (laughs) the day is coming. How wonderful and glorious this will be. Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And all the people said, Come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, on this earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, Your kingdom come, we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Someday every knee. We know that. Uh, Someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's Philippians 2, 10 and 11. We pray for the time to come when the kingdom of God permeates the entire world, a world where there is joyful submission to God's reign. Actually, uh, actually God reigns on his throne right now. Psalm 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. We are told in the book of Daniel that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. That's in Daniel 4, 25 and 32. Humankind, mankind, does not submit to the kingship of God. Do I have that right? Did you see the news today? Did you watch the news yesterday? Have you looked down your neighborhood? Do every, does everybody submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ? No. They don't submit. And our prayer is that there would be, there would not be one last vestige of rebellion in this world and that God's kingdom would reign uncontested by the likes of sinful mankind. Think about that. The audacity of fallen flesh to not submit to the king because of sin. So someday we pray That will happen, and they will bow. But not yet. Not yet. 
We yearn for it. We pray for it. And even though we wait for the not yet to happen in the future, we can still pray that the kingdom of God will invade the hearts of people right now. Every time we pray for someone's salvation, we are praying, your kingdom come. Did you realize that? We hear the request all the time, pray for this one, salvation, salvation. What we're actually praying is that the kingdom of God would come in their heart every time. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God has already arrived now. It is present in the hearts of believers who have submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's in John 18, 36. Jesus told Nicodemus that unless one is born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. John 3, 3 and 5. The kingdom of God has already entered our hearts right now and gives us hope for the not yet. The Bible speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1, 27. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Romans 8.11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed and the last time. Verse John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Now and not yet. Do you see that? Now and not yet. The kingdom of God dwells in our hearts right now. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, John 10.10. The abundant life is a quality of life that we have entered into right now in this life. The life we have in Christ begins now and lasts for all eternity. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has life. John 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent him has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 6, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Do you have the Son? Well, let me ask you, do you have life? 
Of course. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, uh, uh, you know 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How wonderful to know we have eternal life. There are some among us who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, let me ask you, have you come to a place in your life where you know you are going to heaven? Some would say, you really can't know that for sure. Yes, you can. First John five thirteen says, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you would dream, not that you would guess, not that you would hope, not perhaps, not maybe, but that you would know. So let me ask you again. Let me ask you. If you were to die today and stand before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You may say, well, compared to others, I'm not so bad. I think that my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and God will accept me. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Well, let me ask you another question. How good are you? How good are you? Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Matthew 5, 48. You have to be perfect to qualify for heaven. You think you're good enough. The Bible says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Have you always loved God more than anything else in your life? If you esteem anything more important than God, that makes you an idolater. If you have lied, that makes you a liar. If you have stolen, that makes you a thief. If you have lusted, that makes you an adulterer. If you have taken God's name in vain, that makes you a blasphemer. If you had sex outside of marriage, that makes you a fornicator. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Your sin has separated you from God and will condemn you for all eternity unless you believe on Jesus, turn from your sin, and follow him as Lord. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Until you make it right with God, the wrath of God remains on you. You say, well now, 
Now that I think about it, I know, I know I am a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. How do I make it right with God? I know I'm a sinner. How do I make it right with God? The simple gospel. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent, turn away from your sins. Believe, receive God's free gift of salvation. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life and Christ Jesus our Lord. Believe that Jesus was your substitute on the cross where God poured out his infinite wrath on Jesus instead of you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Suppose, suppose that this book contains a detailed account of your life, this book. A detailed account of your life. All your sins, all your thoughts, all your motives, everything you've ever done in secret, everything you thought in secret. The Bible says that someday the books will be opened. Now here's our problem. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin, and this is us, God, Our sin separates us from God. But God sent his beloved son to die on the cross for our sins. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray, We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Where did it go? The separation is no longer there. Christ took it. On our behalf as our substitute, he removed the barrier between God and man by dying for our sins, taking that record book and tossing it into the sea because of his grace. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross. Jesus took the weight and burden of our sin upon himself and paid for our salvation with his precious blood. He has removed the barrier of guilt of our sin, and reconcile us to God. And you wonder why we're jumping out of our shoes. And you, you wonder why we have joy unspeakable and peace with God. Only Jesus could have done that for us. And what a wonderful gift of salvation it is. Those of us who have repented of, of our sins and received Christ as Lord and Savior have experienced a wonderful transformation Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, we're back to the kingdom. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have been changed. We love what we once hated. We hate what we once loved. We have a hunger and a longing for eternal things and heavenly things now. It's in our heart right now, right now, but we must wait for the not yet. The reason we long for the not yet is because the kingdom of God dwells in our hearts right now. And we long for the completion of a redemption when we have glorified bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this text, for in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Someday, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In Romans 8, 28. Now, I want to read from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25, that talks about the creation itself groaning, and we're looking forward to when God makes it all new. Romans 8, 18 through 25, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we wait. Uh, We wait and pray that the kingdom will come. No one knows uh, when the kingdom of this world will finally become the kingdom of God and of his Christ. God alone knows but there is a sense in which we may hasten the day. Second Peter 3, 11-13, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, when we we live lives of holiness and godliness, we give witness uh, to a dying world of the reality of the coming kingdom of God. When the gospel that has transformed our lives has been proclaimed in all the world, then he comes. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In what manner, then, could we be praying for the kingdom of God 
to come. We could be praying for the sanctification of believers, that they would be set apart to live lives of holiness and godliness. We could pray for boldness to share the gospel with others and pray that God would raise up others to carry the gospel throughout the world. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's Matthew 9, 37 and 38. We are to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. In this model prayer, Jesus taught us to pray God's will above everything else, above all else. It is not our own plans, our own agenda, or our own will that should preoccupy our prayers. What preoccupies our prayers? Our will or God's will? Your will be done, Lord. Jesus demonstrated complete surrender and submission to God's will at Gethsemane. When he was agonizing about going to the cross, he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26, 39. Many times we hesitate to pray for God's will because we know that if he grants our request, it will be difficult for us. It's not always easy to serve the Lord, is it? And sometimes we give pause. We say, oh, Lord, I only want your will. But what that would mean for me is, oh, am I willing to serve you that way? Many times we hesitate, but we always should pray God's will be done. Some people strain. They strain to know God's will as if it's some kind of mystical revelation uh, when it's plainly uh, stated in his word. You don't need no mystical revelation to know what God's will is. Just look at the word of God. For example, First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Another example is 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is God's will that we are set apart for him. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and to, uh, to live to him and to live for his righteousness. To live for righteousness. Second Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who live might no, no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And how are we to be set apart for him? That is, uh, how are we sanctified? Well, Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In John 17.17 17. And Charles Spurgeon said, And I quote, The more truth you believe, the more sanctified you will be. The operation of truth upon the mind to separate a man from the world unto is for uh, to separate a man from the world unto service of God. It's unquote. In Romans twelve two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is by knowing his word that we understand what pleases him. When we pray for 
God's will. We are asking him to enable us to live out our lives in accordance with his will. That is what is revealed in his word. We can pray as the Apostle Paul did for the Colossians when he asked God to fill them with the knowledge of his will. Would you please turn to Colossians chapter 1? We'll turn there together. I'd like for you to see this. Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And we see uh, from this passage as you look at it that there is a purpose to know God's will. And that is so that we would be walking, that is to be living in a manner worthy of the Lord as we seek to please him. That's verse 10. It is God's will for us to bear fruit in every good work. It is God's will for us to know him better as we increase in our intimate knowledge of God through a personal relationship with Christ. That's also verse 10. It is God's will for us to be strengthened with his power for our need of patience to endure. That's verse 11. It is God's will for us to have joy, also verse 11. It is God's will for us to be thankful, verse 12. According to verse 9, we can ask to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And where does that spiritual wisdom and understanding come from? Right there. (laughs) And I've already mentioned um, that to know God's will is to know his word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The purpose of knowing God's word is that we would be complete, equipped for every good work, as it says in Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. As we conduct our lives in a manner that is fully pleasing to him, we will bear fruit. It is God's will for us to bear fruit. John 15.8, by this my Father is glorified, that you should bear fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and, and bear fruit. Colossians 1, 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. To know the Lord is to have a relationship with him. It is God's will that we know him more and more and more and more. It is God's will that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Colossians 1, 11, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 7. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, 
but the grace of God that is with me. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We are to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said that he would boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians 12.9. 2 Corinthians 12.10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Well, strong for what? Colossians 1.11. For all endurance and patience. We need God's strength to make it. Matthew 24.13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It is God's will that we keep on keeping on. And then verse 11 says, with joy. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. John 15, who of us would not want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Romans 14.7, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15.13, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then finally, in the text of Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In closing, I just want to say that when we pray, your kingdom come, well, you can't have a kingdom without a king. You can't have a kingdom without a king. The king tells us in Revelation 22.20, surely I am coming soon, and we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the truth of your word. We thank you for this wonderful model prayer, the Lord's Prayer as we call it. We thank you for the insight that you give us as we pray before you to our loved Heavenly Father. And we would ask you to be pleased to remind us of this message, what it means to pray for your kingdom, what it means to pray for your will to be done on this old earth, just as it is in heaven. Help us to live lives that reflect that reality, the hope that we have of everlasting life. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.